us pray. Lord God, who showed your servant Martin Luther King the way of agape love, guide us in that way as we listen for your word today. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Can everyone hear me okay? Good. On November 17, 1957, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King walked into the pulpit of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He was sick. The doctor told him to stay home and rest, but he insisted he had to preach that day. So they reached a compromise. King would not go into the pulpit until it was time to preach. And after that, he would go directly home and get in bed. And that's what he did, I imagine. But in that half hour or so that he stood in that pulpit, he preached on the call to love our enemies. He used the text from Matthew chapter 5, which parallels the one that we had today from Luke. The ideas are the same. Dr. King told the congregation that this was a topic that they had heard him address before because he made a point of preaching on it at least once a year, adding to it as he developed his thinking. It was at the core of his transformative work. His vision of the beloved community requires the transformation that happens to enemies when they are loved and forgiven. He preached, quote, the words of this text glitter in our eyes with new urgency. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, this command is an absolute necessity for the survival of our civilization. Yes, it is love that will save our world and our civilization, love even for our enemies. And that is hard, he said, very hard. But Jesus wasn't playing, he said. And neither was Martin. That's likely why he dragged himself out of his sick bed to preach on the importance of loving our enemies. Because Dr. King poured out his love and his health and his very life in a 24-7 commitment to creating a world not only where the enemies of justice would no longer have the upper hand, but where they might become people who no longer despised, oppressed, exploited, or lynched others. This is what he meant by the beloved community. And this image of Martin Luther King Jr. struggling with the challenge of illness and the call to preach, it made me wonder what he might make of our COVID-soaked world today, on the weekend of his 93rd birthday. What would he make 
of our fights over whether to vaccinate or wear masks to slow the spread of a killer virus? What would he make of the fact that racial injustice remains as deadly a problem as ever? Or that it's one of the reasons why our democracy hangs in the balance? What would he make of the lives that are threatened over our polarizations? What would he preach? And I think he would send us back to these words of Jesus, love your enemies. And he'd remind us what Jesus meant by them. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Seventy years ago, Martin Luther King offered the people of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and us some very practical suggestions for loving those enemies. We must start, he said, by looking to self, looking at ourselves, at our own participation in the creation of enemies, our own tendency to harm and to alienate. He said, quote, somehow the isness of our present nature is out of harmony with the eternal oughtness that forever confronts us. And this simply means this, that within the best of us, there is some evil. Within the worst of us, there is some good. And when we come to see this, we take a different attitude toward individuals. That helps us to see our enemy as a mixed bag, just like us. He said, quote, when you come to the point that you look in the face of every man and see deep down within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of. No matter what he does, you see God's images there. There is an element of goodness that he can never slough off. Discover that element of good in your enemy. And as you seek to hate him, find the center of goodness and place your attention there, and you will take a new attitude. Now remember, this was coming from someone who endured racial slurs and violent attacks fire hoses, death threats, jailing, a stabbing, a bombing of his home, over his demands for civil rights for black people. Martin Luther King Jr. had enemies. And I'm not even talking about where he stood on peace. Another way to love your enemy, he told the congregation at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, is that, quote, when the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not 
doing. When you have that moment to get even, when faced with the choice to keep, choice to harm or to keep someone from moving ahead in life, he said, that's when you choose not to do it. That, Dr. King said, is the meaning of love. Love is creative, understanding, goodwill for all. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, he said, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system you love, but you seek to defeat the system. And that is what the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lived and died doing. Working to defeat those sinful systems that caught up people within them and made it so very difficult for them to love or to be loved. As I consider the preaching of Dr. King this week, alongside the words of Luke's Gospel, the ideas of Bishop Desmond Tutu also surfaced for me. Because another word for the love of enemy is forgiveness. And there is no one who has witnessed more fully, painfully, and effectively to the power of forgiveness than Bishop Desmond Tutu, who died three weeks ago today. In the book of Forgiving, which Desmond Tutu wrote with his daughter, the Reverend Impo Tutu, the bishop wrote, without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound with chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped. Unless we can forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. I recommend this book. It is powerful and practical and honest. I recommend it to anyone who is either seeking to forgive someone or to be forgiven. The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. But I have to say that of late, I'm not sure that I have it in me to rise to the level of Martin Luther King's agape love or to Desmond Tutu's forgiveness. I'm not sure I'm up to the task of loving those that I find myself diametrically opposed to, in fierce social and political combat with, in heartbreaking alienation from. I'm not a saint like Martin Luther King or Desmond Tutu. I can't, as the Gospel of Matthew suggests, be perfect as my father is perfect. But I may be able to do what Luke suggests, to be merciful as my father is merciful. I think that with God's help and with your help, I can create a space where I can grow and develop that ability to love and to forgive. A patient space to live inside of and to live out of 
I can create a circle of mercy. Now, divine mercy is at the very core of God's relationship with Israel. It is what makes an undeserving and sinful people into a chosen people. Mercy is the patient and gracious time and space that God gives people to repent, to live into the covenant, to grow in love. And that is not a time of empty waiting on God's part, but an active time of calling, chastising, teaching, prophesying, lamenting, and intervening. Mercy makes a space and opportunity for the undeserving to enter a place of loving relationship with God. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, says Luke. And having been both of those things in my life, I appreciate that about God. What if I were to create a circle of mercy out of which I might be able to love my enemy and forgive those who hurt me? What do Martin Luther King and Desmond Tutu and the author of Luke suggest I fill that circle of mercy with? Well, I can start by filling it with prayer for my enemies. A desire, at least, for healed relationship. I can fill it with blessing for those I'm in conflict with. That force of imagination that sees both me and my enemies as a mix of good and evil, all beloved of God, despite our failings. I can make choices in my circle of mercy. The kind act, the held tongue, the stayed hand, the suppressed Schadenfreude. In the Book of Forgiving, Desmond and Impo Tutu suggest four practices that lead to the love of enemies that we call forgiveness. And these include telling the story of the harm that they have inflicted, telling those stories out loud to another person, and naming the hurts that resulted, and granting forgiveness in its time, and ultimately deciding whether to renew the relationship or release it. Which is to say that the patiently held space within the circle of mercy can be pretty full of things to do while we wait. It does not demand that we declare the love of our enemy before we actually have a love for our enemy, or forgive before we've named the harm, or force a peace when there is no peace. But it is a space where we ask God and one another to prepare for it, welcome the possibility of it, 
Perhaps we can honor the life and the death and the resurrection of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by committing to make within ourselves and this faith community such circles of mercy. To pray the prayer before the prayer, as Desmond Tutu calls the prayer before one is able to forgive. And so I'll just leave us with the last stanza of his prayer by that name. Is there a place where we can meet, you and me? The place in the middle, the no man's land, where we straddle the lines, where you are right and I am right too, and both of us are wrong and wronged? Can we meet there and look for the place where the path begins, the path that ends when we forgive? Amen.